Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. And today I'm joined with another conversation partner. His name is John Nugent. And if you've read the book Insurgents, you are familiar with that name, for I have quoted him in my book. He has also kindly endorsed the book. You can see his endorsement on insurgents.org. John is the author of a book entitled Endangered Gospel, which I believe is an excellent work that supplements many of the arguments that I have made in Insurgents. Now, John and I don't agree on everything, but that doesn't prevent us from having fellowship, and we certainly resonate on many different topics, some of which we will get into in this episode and future episodes. So, as you're listening, some of the episodes of the Insurgents podcast will feature Jeffrey Harley, who you met in previous episodes, and others will feature John Nugent. And we will probably go back and forth so that you will get a diverse perspective as I dialogue with both of these gentlemen. This is episode 353. Welcome, John. It's good to be with you, Frank. Thanks for having me down here in sunny Florida. Well, it's my privilege. Well, we are sitting in a hotel room in Orlando, Florida. If you hear airplanes going by, that's because we're very close to the airport. But John and I have become friends over a period of time, first through email and and now we're in person. And we're very fond of each other, despite our deep, drastic doctrinal differences. Uh, <laughs> Soon um, to be aired out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and hammered out. But there's nothing that I would not do for John, and there's nothing that he would not do for me. And so we don't do anything for each other. <laughs> All right, to both of you who are listening, that was a joke. So today what we want to do is we want to delve into this issue of food as it relates to the kingdom of God particularly something that we Americans don't really give a lot of thought to, and that is the abuse of food or the overindulgence of food, also known as gluttony. Yeah, sure. But I guess to be transparent, I'm an Italian. I'm full-blooded Italian. Both my parents are from Italy, and I'm of the opinion that the Italians are the best cooks in the world. As are many. (laughs) We have the best food on the planet. And so I am a person who just enjoys food. I could even say I love food. I love eating Mm -hmm. and so forth. And it wasn't until probably halfway into my Christian faith that I began to realize that overeating is an issue, a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. It's not just a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. And so since that time, I have been looking at food very differently. I've been on various different diets to just to help control how much food I partake of at a given time. And I think this is something that many Christians don't think about. If I could put it this way, it is the Christian's drug. As Christians, we know we're not supposed to snort cocaine. (laughs) We're not supposed to smoke marijuana. Well, that would be up for debate more and more. Yeah, I just heard uh, several people turn off the podcast channel (laughs) when I said that. Everyone in Colorado, (laughs) soon to be Michigan. (laughs) We're not supposed to shoot heroin. But eating food, or shall I say abusing food, 
using it as a way of escape, using it as comfort, loving it to the point where it is an idol. That kind of flies under the radar in the Christian family. It's the acceptable drug. I did not address this issue of gluttony in the book Insurgents, and so I thought we would do a whole episode on it. I'll make an observation. This is something that I've only noticed in recent years. I have been in many conferences where leaders were present, uh, spoken in them, as you have as well. And I have observed, I actually did a count <laughs> several hmm. times because I wanted to make it more concrete. But I would say, John, 35 to 40 percent of the leaders who attended and even the speakers were excessively overweight, meaning if a nutritionist looked at them, they would categorize them as being obese. Okay. Many pastors who I have met and known fall into this category. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. So don't take condemnation if you have a weight issue. But I do think it's something that is pervasive in the Christian family. This issue of looking at food in a way that God did not prescribe and the abuse of it in this area of idolatry related to a thing that's very close to all of us and many of us who enjoy food, as I do. Yeah, I would observe. I have, I'm not surprised by your observation. And uh, I, I wonder for preachers if it's not an occupational hazard. <laughs> oh, yeah. In part because, I mean, so many of the meetings happen over food. Right? Mm. And so many of the home <laughs> invites happen over food. And mm. when I did my internship at a church, every house that I went over, it was, it was like it was Thanksgiving. You know, their, their notion of hospitality is to lay the spread out before you and, and you just find yourself eating and eating and eating to excess and a dessert with every meal. <laughs> and so, yeah, in, in some occupations, especially sedentary ones where you're, mm. you talk and you sit and you write and you read for a living, uh, you have to think about food differently. Uh, and, and, you know, there's something that happens, I think, in a lot of sedentary. I'm a professor, and so I have a very similar lifestyle. There's lots of special occasion kind of meals at a college. But to, to think about that my daily work doesn't have me using my muscles a lot, mm. walking around, being active. And mm. so uh, there, are, there are chemicals that are not being released. There are, you know, physical needs that are not being met. And then we can respond to that with food. Uh, there's something about exercise that does something for the body and the brain that's not happening for people with a sedentary lifestyle. And then to use food to deal with that yeah. only compounds the problem and, and becomes, um, it does something to our bodies that makes us sluggish physically. Yeah. And then the mind follows the body. We become sluggish mentally. And that can be a real problem for kingdom-focused people. Yeah. So true. Well, it made me think of Jesus when you mentioned about the occupational hazard. He was a specialist at eating in people's homes, yeah. which got him the reputation of being a glutton and a drunkard. That's right. Although he was neither. Yeah. And I, I think that this goes along with the many different things I treated in the book Insurgents on variables that hinder us from enjoying and fully entering into, which it is a process, the riches of the kingdom of God. And that is, we talked about addictions, we talked about idols, and food is, is a big one that, again, is something we don't really look at in the Christian family. And it is also led 
to so many illnesses and even deaths. Mm -hmm. uh, the older I get and the more I learn, the more I am convinced that most of our physical problems that we have as human beings, especially in America, we're both Americans, can be directly tied to our diet. When you examine the diets of people who are not eating the quote-unquote American diet, they don't have the health issues that we have, many of them. I was recently visiting a Pentecostal church. I don't attend traditional churches often, but in this particular case, I was there for a reason. And at the end of the service, the pastor invited people to come up to be prayed for who were ill. John, I would tell you that, say, 70% of the people who responded to that call for prayer were grossly overweight, I mean, obese. And again, I'm not putting condemnation on anyone, but I wonder in cases where people are not healed, if one of the reasons may be because of the diet they're on presently is contributing to the sickness. It's something that the scripture does address. I'll just read some scripture here and then maybe we can just talk about it. Here's Luke 21, 34. This is Jesus speaking, but beware in your souls that your hearts never grow cold with gluttony and with drunkenness and with the cares of the world. And that word there, gluttony, is also translated carousing or surfeiting or dissipation, which carries the idea of a party. Think of the college party or the American party where everybody gets together, they overeat, and then drunkenness is also connected to that. And Jesus is saying, beware, watch that your hearts don't grow cold. So there's a connection between your heart growing cold, obviously for spiritual things, for the Lord, and the overindulgence of food and, and alcohol. And then we have other texts that I'll read that tie together the word glutton and drunkard, or gluttony and drunkenness. This is Deuteronomy 21.20. 20. This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Proverbs 23, verses 20 to 21. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Yeah, one of the things we were talking about before the recording is, you know, especially in the Old Testament passages, the word for gluttony is just being frivolous or rash. It's like being hasty or thoughtless in your approach to something. And, mm. and it's, it's interesting that that's, you know, the way they talk about gluttony. Mm. Like this attitude toward food that you rush into it without thinking. And I, and I, like, I like the way you keep talking about this. You know, it's kind of like the American idolatry. You might call it a respectable worldliness. Absolutely. There's a kind of worldliness that Christians are not okay with. Uh, but there's a kind of worldliness that Christians go along with. <laughs> it's respectable. If, if we were to think too much about it or talk too much about it, we would, we would agree that it's probably not a good idea. But we don't you know, bring the body together to, to, in a Matthew 18 sort of capacity to reconcile someone who is being worldly with food the way we do others. And one of the things that stood out to me, I especially like that passage to talk about, those who eat and drink excessively clothe themselves with... In rags. Yeah. What, what serves as the rags? Like laziness serves as their rags? It, it puts you in a kind of a slumber. Yeah, a stupor. absolutely. It does absolutely. something to your energy level. And, and this to me is what makes it one of the biggest challenges for Christians. Like we exist to seek first the kingdom. We have energy for the kingdom. 
we have kingdom sensors on all the time to serve others, to look for opportunities, to share a word of the Lord with someone, uh, to look for a way to demonstrate the kingdom in our community. And yet, often, you know, we say this is how we want to be involved as a church in each other's lives, in the community, in public, visible ways, reflecting the kingdom. And we're just so tired. <laughs> we don't have the energy to be those kingdom on fire people. And I, I think these scriptures are suggesting one of the things that could be contributing to our lack of energy is the way we approach food. Yeah, absolutely. And a big part of the American diet is carbs. It's no mystery that carbohydrates, particularly sugar, and all carbs turn to sugar, will put you very quickly into that low energy state. We'll talk at the end about some diets and maybe some research that various people have come across when it comes to this whole business of how do we deal with the issue of approaching food the way the Lord would want. It also made me think about how Paul talks about blessing your food, giving thanks. There seems to be laced within the Christian ethos a sacredness about food mm. that we often miss because we have so much of it and we eat so often as Americans, right? That we miss that. And I'm not talking about just as a ritual saying grace over every meal. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a whole attitude that comes with eating. One of the things that really has ignited me and it's important that we remember this, is that food really represents Christ, who is our spiritual meat mm -hmm. and our spiritual drink. And so the act of taking a bite out of a steak or the act of drinking water is really a pointer, a signpost, that just as this physical food sustains me physically, Christ, who is the real food, he himself said, he who consumes me shall live by me. Right. I can't be sustained spiritually. I am worthless to the kingdom of God if I'm not partaking of him. And so to reframe the eating of a meal that I'm partaking of the shadow that points to Christ can really give us a different look at it. But again, we must be reminded of this because we often forget. Another thing too, I was talking to someone who is not a meat eater and I... I don't want to get off into veganism and <laughs> vegetarianism, but I just want to make a point. This is sort of a tangent, folks, but the principle of meat eating seems to be that in order to preserve life, a life must be taken. The ultimate embodiment of that was Jesus Christ, who was the real lamb, who poured out his life to give us life. And so that, to me, when I'm eating meat, I want to be reminded of that. That's kind of a pointer that in order to sustain my own spiritual life, a life must be taken. So the physical points to the spiritual. Having said that, let me read a few more passages here. I think it's probing for anyone who loves food, and I'm speaking as an Italian who does. Philippians 3 19 he's talking about the enemies of the gospel and he says their destiny is destruction their god is their stomach and then he ends yeah <laughs> the heavy duty <laughs> he ends by saying their mind is set on earthly things proverbs 23 verse 2 put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony we're not advocating you do that <laughs> boys and girls it makes the point that 
this is an issue we shouldn't just gloss over. And then when Paul was describing what the Cretes said about themselves through their own prophets, one of Crete's own prophets have said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Notice he puts the two together, laziness and, and gluttony. Titus 1.12, Proverbs 28, verse 6, A discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. Galatians 5.22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he gives the list, and one of them is self-control. And this is a kingdom issue because Paul says in Romans 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We also have this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. It's interesting that he compares food with immorality as it relates to the body. And I think we can see the point there. And he makes emphatically clear that food is for the stomach. The stomach is not for food. Just as the body is for the Lord, not for immorality. And just before that, in verse 12, he made the comment, I will not be mastered by anything. Consequently, a person can be mastered by food. They can be enslaved to it, just as a person can be mastered by immorality and enslaved to it. To put it another way, the glutton lives to eat. The person who is set free from gluttony eats to live. John. Yeah, there's a lot to work with there. <laughs> the one that maybe stuck in my head and bounced around the most as you're reading was their God is their stomach. Yeah. Uh, you know, why, uh, why that language would be used. And, you know, our God is that which we serve that uh, where we spend our time, our energy, our resources, our passions is our God. And, um, you know, God wants us to get excited to do his will. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants us to find our reward, our zeal for life in serving our brother and sister, in uh, bearing witness to his kingdom. And, and so we have this need, I think, to to be important, to feel important. Um, this We have this itch in us that needs to be scratched. Mm -hmm. And being busy about the Lord's work will give you all the work you need. Yeah. <laughs> we'll scratch all the itches you have. Right. Uh, we'll meet your emotional needs, mm -hmm. uh, your need to feel important, uh, your need to feel like your life has value, meaning, and is exciting. Mm -hmm. and, and wholehearted devotion to the kingdom just does that to a person's life. And and in this world, you know, people who don't serve the Lord have found other ways to scratch those itches. Mm. And it's very clear, I think, in this passage that um, that's what people do with food and drink. Mm. They feel, you know, there's so much social dynamism happening at a party. Yeah. Uh, there's so much enjoyment that comes with a feast. Uh, there's there's this out of world experience that comes with excessive drinking. Mm. You know, um, you don't feel normal. <laughs> You're caught up in something, mm. and um, people who don't know the Lord are, are have this this vacuum in their life that they fill with food and drinking and carousing. And Christians don't have that void, 
And yet we're surrounded by a culture that is feeding people with food mm-hmm. to meet the same needs that um, the Lord meets in us. And so I, this is where I, why I think it's the respectable worldliness. You know, there's not a, um, it's not one of the professional sins that are decried from the pulpit on a regular basis. And it's the default way our culture deals with its depression, its Absolutely. anxiety, its Absolutely. loneliness. And so Christians start doing it too. And, and what happens is it does to us what it does to them in the world. It makes us, well, it makes us feel full so that we don't have a void that should be met with our kingdom work, <laughs> yeah. our kingdom service, and uh, joyful service. Uh, and it also sedates us and saps us of our energy. And, you know, so embracing the food will satisfy you narrative, we're replacing something that service to the Lord does. And in that way, the stomach becomes God. Well, when you're saying that, it reminds me of of Jesus' dialogue with his disciples in connection with when he talked to the Samaritan woman. And they thought he was hungry. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've already eaten I have food that you know not of. And he was speaking of his service to his father, that that, in a way, was satiating to him. It gave him sustenance. It was food for him to live by the father. He was constantly partaking of his father's life. And also doing the father's will was a form of feeding and alleviating the hunger, the real hunger, which physical hunger is is but a shadow. That connection between the Lord's work and eating spiritual food. I think probably if if you're listening to this and you know you have an issue with food, which is not uncommon to human beings, <laughs> not uncommon at all, I think maybe the first step is to recognize that this is something that the Lord wants to deal with in your life. It's not something you should just tolerate. And of course, I'm speaking in the context of those of you who want to press further into the kingdom and be more useful to the kingdom, and enjoy the riches of the kingdom. An addiction to food or an obsession with food will hinder that. You will only go so far in the Lord. Practical things, John, I'll just share some that I'm thinking of right now that may help the Lord's people who are listening to this and may struggle with this, especially leaders. Because if a leader has an issue with food, and a leader has an issue with obesity, for example, that's a signal to everyone else who is under their leadership that this is okay. It's what makes it respectable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my pastor is. Take a look at fasting. Fasting is a very powerful tool to break addictions to the flesh. I'm talking about an all-water fast. I'm not talking about 40 days and 40 nights. (laughs) Thank you, Moses. Without Uh, consulting your doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. And we're not doctors, and we're not playing one on the Internet, so... Consult your doctor because, you know, there are certain illnesses that people have where they shouldn't fast, right? Low blood sugar and so forth. But if you can do it, a three-day fast is what I recommend using water only. will along with prayer, prayer and fasting, Jesus' words, the suit fits. Three days, water only. And you will be amazed at what's going to happen to you spiritually in relation to any addiction you may have to food. And by the way, just let me add a postscript here. I give a little bit more on this practice of fasting, things you 
can and should do during a fast if you want to break an addiction and it's part of insurgence. There is a supplemental article that goes into that. I have found to be very effective. Another thing is there's a book entitled The Fast Metabolism Diet, which I've actually used and I've had many friends use. And we have watched people break their addiction to uh, carbohydrates, sugar, uh, and other things that were unhealthy and lost a ton of weight on this program. So you may want to check out the fast metabolism diet. There's another diet that's very popular today that many people have claimed is alleviated some of their illnesses and some of their physical disorders, as well as dropping a lot of weight. And that's the ketogenic diet. And now there's another diet that has come along here. And folks, I'm just throwing these things out for you to research, all right? I'm not saying that you must or should do any of this. But if you have an issue with food, I exhort you and implore you to look into all of these. The other one is the carnivore diet. It's an all-meat diet. And a number of experts are coming out and saying that this has been a godsend to many people. I am not endorsing any of these per se. I'm just saying that there are things you should look into. Point being, don't just tolerate it, but take some action and be proactive. Something I would recommend... Uh, for Christians to think about is just how we think about celebration and festival and overindulging. I think it is it's fascinating that Jesus says, you know, the kingdom isn't about food and drink. But in some ways, in other passages, it is about food and drink. It, it's like a festival, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and he ate and drank with people a lot. Um, but one thing that I think Jesus understood and the Jewish people understood, and, and for them they understood it out of necessity, is that there's a time for feasting. It's not every day, Amen. and it's not every weekend. And uh, if we would embrace a life rhythm where we would make special occasions special by only eating a lot during a special occasion, mm-hmm. that we would have to create a diet that's sustainable. Yes. That we, we look forward to the festival occasion when the body comes together to celebrate this or that event because uh, we know we're going to eat a lot, and we can look forward to that. Mm. And we've just kind of, and, and this is what our society does, it takes something that's special and it makes it routine yes. and normal. And the same thing with alcohol, right? Um, mm. To, you know, alcohol is whenever I, you know, feel depressed, I drink alcohol. Or whenever I, whenever it's Friday and the work week's over, I drink alcohol. And a, a festival but you can, You can be forgiven of that, John. I mean, well, I appreciate you confessing this <laughs> oh, to everybody. Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> Uh, but the same thing, we take something that is for a special occasion and we routinize it, yes. which is great for a capitalist economy, you know, having people overbuy at the grocery store. And, but really thinking about what it means to have a normal diet so that when a special occasion happens and there's a lot of food, it feels special. Well, it goes back to this whole thing about what Paul said, getting behind the eyes of the unbeliever. Let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And that is the mindset of the person who does not know Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, it is bled into the Christian family, which again is symptomatic to something missing. And just because you're a believer doesn't inoculate you from these other temptations and struggles, but there is deliverance. But it does require this, this thing about violently pressing into the kingdom that I talked about in the book. 
the kingdom of God is taken by the violent, and the violent take it by force. There is the pressing into Canaan, so to speak, the lifting up the sword metaphorically and slaying the giants and entering into what the Lord has already given you. It's not just going to drop in your lap. It doesn't just happen that way. And so we encourage you to, to take these things that we've shared and bring them to the Lord. And I have watched people drop 50 pounds, 100 pounds, and it's just transformative in their own life. And illnesses cleared up by using food to do it. The American diet is, I'm convinced, it's not made for human beings. Yeah. You know, God's not the author of the American diet. I heard somebody was saying they used to visit Thailand years ago, and you would never see an overweight, a visibly overweight, obese Thai person. Now, because the American diet has penetrated that country, you see obese people in Thailand. Hmm. I've never been there, folks. I don't know if this is true or not. Like Paul said, uh, the house of Chloe has told me this, and I partly believe it. So I partly believe it. Any closing words? Yeah, I would just say not to allow this aspect of everyday life escape the kingdom lens. You know, part of what it means for the church to be a witness to God's kingdom is that in our life together, we show to the world what the kingdom's going to be like. Mm-hmm. You know, what God created this world to be like and how he created the function. Mm-hmm. Our life together is supposed to be a display or a demonstration plot of that Yes. proper use of God's great mm-hmm. resources in this creation. And uh, we shouldn't let food fall out of that. Like, mm-hmm. We're to be a model in sexuality. We're to be a model in hardworking. We're to be a model of pure speech. Why not also be a model in that we treat the gift of food the way God intended it to be treated? Amen. Uh, it should be part of our witness as well. Praise the Lord. All right, folks, well, we will sign off now, and we will see you, if you can wait that long, a whole week, until our next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.